This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. My guest today, Sterling Chapman, is a father, husband, regional sales director, real estate investor, podcast host of the Rent Roll Radio Show, barbecue enthusiast, triathlete, maybe. We'll talk a little <laughs> bit more about that. And uh, and a GoBundance member. So welcome, Sterling. Good to have you, man. Awesome, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We always start with backstories. So you've been a GoBundance member for about half a year now. You joined earlier this year, it looks like. And um, But what's your story? What's your, your backstory? Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I know, but take me from there. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I came up in Baton Rouge, moved around a bit growing up. My dad was, uh, my dad was part of a, a, a company that just kind of blew up in the late 90s. So we moved around. So I spent middle school in Caracas, Venezuela, uh, half of high school in Houston, Texas, the other half in Boston, Massachusetts. Came back here, went to LSU and spent uh, my 20s kind of a screw up, bouncing around, selling insurance, doing this, doing that. And then... Um, really got focused and kind of got my act together in my late 20s and got on at a, a top telecom company. And uh, my 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 vision there was to just be this corporate guy. I went back and got my MBA and uh, and I was just, I was, uh, my dream was to be the next CFO of this company. And I was getting promoted every year and it was going great. And then a couple of things changed around like 2017, 2018. So, um, the first thing was, you know, in my in my MBA, I was I took some entrepreneurship classes, and I was like, man, I'd love to do something. Like, I'd love to be in control. Like, I was always, you know, I was never like a really like a good soldier that you know that just followed orders and didn't complain. So, like, you know, corporate life was kind of not like. I wasn't the cookie cutter guy for it. So I just love the spirit of entrepreneurship and and the control and and all that kind of stuff. But I, I wasn't good at anything. I didn't know how to do anything. I worked at a telecom company, but really all I was was a sales guy. I didn't know how the phones work, you know? So, so uh, that kind of sparked my entrepreneurial interest. Then I saw my boss of like 17 years. He'd have gone on all the, won all these award trips and he just, uh, he lost his job because they did, you know, their little surpluses that they do once a year. Somebody in Dallas looks at a spreadsheet and sees your, your you know, your code and they go, oh, well, we think we can do this role with uh, 21 managers instead of 26. So take these five and they don't have a job anymore. And that just terrified me. It terrified me. I was like, I was buying my first house with my fiance. We were, you know, about to start having a family. And I just envisioned myself as having like this big mortgage, these car notes, and like have dedicated 80 hours a week of my life to this company for all these years. And like my identity was just so intertwined with it. And, and then somebody just turned off the faucet. I'm like, that that's that's like what makes people jump out of a window. And that that thought process just terrified me. So around the, the same time, I just got another promotion, was making decent money. I went, you know, to tell my bragged to my dad about how much I was making because I was so excited. He was like, well, you need to go find something you know, smart to do with it because I've seen so many people make a ton of money and end up broke and they, they look like idiots. You know, they're, you, 
they're no better than the people who never made the money in the first place. So I started reading, um, you know, personal finance books. I started with Dave Ramsey and I went to my, my girlfriend at the time. I was like, look, we're never going to have any debt, no credit cards. And she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then a week later I read rich dad poor. And I was like, scratch that. We're going to get as much debt as we can. And she was like, whatever. Yeah. that's fine. Yeah. People always start Ramsey and go Kiyosaki. That's what I always say. And, and so <laughs> I started buying single family house rentals, um, really just as a, like a safety net to, in case I lost my job, can I still like pay my mortgage and some bills? I just, I didn't want to be in that terrifying situation. Hmm. And so, um, it, it, it escalated quickly. You know, my, my, I was still, when I started, I was still wanting to be Mr. Corporate America. I just wanted like a safety net under me. And, and as, as I grew quicker and quicker and got more units under my belt, I, I realized that like I could actually probably move a lot faster than I originally, you know, thought. And, and, you know, fast forward from the middle of 2018, when I bought my first rental to the end of 2019, I had 26 rental units that I was managing myself with a one-year-old and, and I was, you know, doing the day job and I was pulling my hair out. And I, at that point I read, um, it was Joe Fairless's book on apartment syndication. And I was like, oh man, that's great. So that's when I started my podcast, The Rent Roll Radio Show to, to kind of become a thought leader and, and just force myself to network with, with other sharp guys and stuff and, and, and really kind of focus on like the syndication model to really scale out. But it was hard. There's a ton of competition. So uh, I, I kept doing my single family business. Um, I started flipping houses as well as, as just burning them for rentals. And uh, since then, with some partners, we've syndicated two apartment complexes. And I, I still have my 70-unit uh, rental portfolio down in South Louisiana. And then um, I'm flipping. I got 14 houses right now that I'm flipping. So, okay. Let's let's start with let's start with this. I was going to go with something on the corporate side, but I want to start here. So you've got seventy single family home combination, maybe duplexes, triplexes, that duplexes, kind of thing. Triplex, yeah, yeah, yeah. Under four, under five, right? So so residential, yeah. seventy residential sure. units, if you will. Um, plus you're flipping fourteen houses, and you've got two syndications. What does your team look like? How what have you built under you to manage all of this? Or are you just sort of doing all of it? Man, so it's it's evolved over the years. I, I definitely have a lot of people that work with me. So I have I have a, an, an assistant, an executive assistant that works in my my office here with me. And um, he started. He actually came to me as like a college kid who wanted to work for me for free to learn about real estate. And I was like, dude, I'll give you fifteen dollars an hour right now. <laughs> like, and, and and fast forward a few months, I'm like, I do not, I don't understand how I survived without that. Like, because I I was in the early days, I did everything. You know, I have a lot of I have a lot of crews that that do work for me that that work specifically on the rehab side. That's I've probably got about seventeen guys that that are just always rehabbing my properties. Um, I, that that pretty much only work for me. And then I have you know an a dedicated electrician, a, an AC guy, a granite guy. Um, I'm probably I've got a you know my insurance. I feel like I'm the probably the biggest client at the insurance agency that does all my insurance stuff. So they've got a dedicated woman that just, you know, organizes all my stuff and and probably does more than than a typical agent does to help me get through it. And um and then on the syndication side, that's kind of separate than my single family stuff is all just me really. Uh, me and and like employees or contract labor, you know. But at, at the top of the the, the 
deal. It's, it's really just me. With the syndications, I'm I partner. I have um, I have three main partners, and and then we you know we we got somebody else to come in and sign for the the loan, and and you know we have we have other partners come in and out. But there's there's four of us. I call it the core four, and and they uh, focus primarily on the acquisition and the asset management, and I focus primarily on the um, capital raising side. I mean, we all do everything. We meet together twice a week. But um, if, you know, if we were, if we were to pick our own lanes and our strengths, I enjoy the capital raising the most. And some of them don't like talking to a bunch of people, but they enjoy the the hunt, the acquisition side. Another guy doesn't like, you know, doesn't like hunting them and doesn't like raising capital, but he loves, you know, just being an asset manager and being organized and keeping up with the process. So just different, you know, disc profiles, you know, applied different ways. Amazing. No, my, so my team with quantum capital, it's, you know, I'm part of a team with three, uh, three other GoBros. So four GoBundance guys, and there's a couple other people on the team and same thing, marketing, right? That's what I do. Cause that's what I enjoy. That's what I like. Nick is operations and he is a, a savant with this stuff. I mean, he knows, yeah. you know, his underwriting, he loves it. He loves diving into a deal and just pulling it apart. That's not what I love. That's his space, right? So everybody has their unique skill set. That makes sense. Your executive assistant, I'm curious, how do you leverage him? So is he is he involved in all aspects? Is he your sort of your number two, or are there certain things more administratively that you offload to him? How do you how do you use him? So there's a lot of things administratively that I just that I just offload to him. I mean, he's a he's a 22 year old college kid, you know, that, that doesn't really have a background in finance or or, or accounting. He does all of my bookkeeping, though. You know, my CPA has like trained him to do the bookkeeping, so that's that's huge. Just keeping keeping all of the books straight. He yeah. does other administrative stuff like tasks around my marketing. He'll he'll email my uh, former podcast guest the assets and and you know here's your here's all the marketing material we put together for you. Thanks for coming on the show. Let us know if there's you know he 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 um orders all of the appliances for all of my my flips. He uh, sets up all the utilities. I always say like, if if he did nothing but sit on the phone with energy <laughs> every week, like he'd be, it'd be, he'd be earning his keep. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm set to hire another guy in, in June to take on some more of the marketing. It was actually a, re- a referral from a GoBro, which I'm pretty excited about because uh, the the GoBro had him doing some work for him for some marketing, um, for some capital raising. So it's it's like he's he's already and I'm trying to model I'm trying to model my new like capital raising platform after this guy's. So it's it's a it's a great hire because he's he's had more you know more exposure to the process than I have at this point. Amazing. I love that. That's great. Yeah. That leverage piece. I, I feel like that's the big pivot in entrepreneurship. When you, when you learn the, right. the power of leveraging others, right? Like you get it at work yeah. when you have a W2, but you're restricted because by your job description and what's allowed as far as what can, like I could never farm out my inbox at my day job. That just wasn't allowed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I managed my inbox. Right. Whereas now like I'm working more and more to get inbox out of my, you know, like I, I don't deal with it. Somebody else deals with it and tells me where I need to be, if that makes sense. So yeah. that makes, I, I love that with the exec assistant. I, I thought about that myself. Like, am I missing out by not having one? And it sounds like you're saying I am. So yeah, 
we host a local meetup. And so a lot of like kind of startup investors come to the meetup and they're always reaching out for advice or something. And, and my advice is pretty much always like, you're doing too much. Mm. Like you, you need to stop. You know, it was hard for me to turn my properties over to property management. When I, when I had 26 units, I turned them over to property management and I would just do the math in my head about like how much I would be paying them and they probably wouldn't be doing it as good as me. And at the end of the day, they're not doing, you know, they're not leasing as good as me. They, they probably are better at maintenance because I, I don't know how to hang a doorknob. But like when I turned it over, I like quadrupled the number of units like in six months. And it was like, if I was still managing those properties, I would still have 26 properties. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sanity cost to property management. You just have to bake in, isn't there? Yeah. Like yeah, there's a yeah, scalability yeah. cost. And it, and it's tough because yeah, if you've got whatever, 50 doors and you and you turn it over and you're expecting to pay whatever, 8% management fee, but at the end of the day, it adds up to be like 14% or whatever it is, right? Sure. And you're looking at some of these costs like, man, I, you know, I could do this for way less, but but you know, stay on top of your management company, but at the same time, I get my mental space back to to go and do other things, to build in other space places. I, I, I'm a big fan of that. Somebody countered with like, yeah, but then you got to look at valuations, especially in commercial. They're degrading your evaluation overall. I'm like, I get it, I do, but again, it depends on what you have. If you've got uh, if you've got investors in the deal, more of a worry than if it's my own deal, like my own you know 16 yeah. unit property or whatever. Um, but there is a there is a uh, I guess you just have to be willing to cede a bit of control in that regard and say, okay, th- this isn't worth my, my mental space. Would you agree? I would. And, and, you know, it, it's, it does it, my, 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 first of all, our 54 unit and our 70 unit that we syndicated in, in Noonan and in Rock Hill there, those, those have really professional managers and they're, yeah. they're doing great. My local portfolio, it's, it's harder to find like solid property management around like a scattered out single family duplex type portfolio and it's not performing as well as I want. But my thought process has been, it frees up so much of my bandwidth to keep building and keep growing. Right. And I've got, you know, I've had the W2 income to keep me afloat. I've had the, I have the flip revenue. Like I don't live and die off of how much that property, you know, that, that portfolio cash flows, as long as I can just keep building it and keep like putting assets in the machine when I when you know, when I leave my W two, if I need to take it back over or whatever, the machine will be there. Yeah. Um. You know, there, there's, there's, for me, it's. I mean, I guess everybody's in a different situation, but from the, the stance I came from, I'm like, just keep it alive long enough for me to just build all this other stuff, and I can revisit it later. You know, I have those assets; they're cooking. You know, they're paying down their debt; they're appreciating. I don't need to leave off the cash flow right now. So ultimately, like at this moment in time, it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter how it's being managed, you know, yep. um, it's still building wealth for me. And, 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 and if I can, if I can be freed up from BS about like tenants and toilets and, and arguments, you know what I mean? I can go build assets, build assets. And, and then, you know, if I need to go back and self-manage at a later date and build out a, an in-house property management company, make sure it's done right. Then I can do that later, but I'll do that with a much larger portfolio than if I would have just stayed in it at 26 units. Sense. Makes perfect sense. Something else you mentioned that I think is interesting because I know a lot of people struggle with this, but you've got your own, essentially you said your own crew for the rehab work that you do. How do you, how do you keep that crew going? I, I don't know. If that's the, like, you hear so many stories and I know of stories where contractors are just flake on you. They'll go here, they'll go there. It's getting more and more expensive to maintain them and, keep, and, you know, keep, keep them and keep them busy. 
Yeah. So my, I mean, it was really just the evolution. It was, it wasn't, you know, some design that I came up with. It was just the evolution. It was, I found one of these guys, he was, he was working on an early project of mine and the contractor wasn't paying. So I went and paid him. And then later on, I needed just a little bit of work done, nothing major. So I, I, he's like, call me if you ever need work. So I called him and he did a good job. And then a little more time went on and he did a good job. And then I just used him for a couple of houses. And then, and, and then like a flood hit this area and I had six units get flooded up four feet. And I was like, can you get enough people together to rehab all these units? And he was like, yeah. He's, it, he just had a community of people around him. And then I started buying houses, started buying houses quickly. And it was like, well, I know he can source this many people. And just the evolution of it over the last two years has been, we have had such a backlog of houses to rehab that I've had the same 17 people working on my houses nonstop. And they just, they can't keep up, you know? So that's, that is what, that's what keeps them there. You know, that they, they just, they never run out of work. How do you find the amount of deals you're finding is the question that comes, like, especially in this market, everyone's struggling sure. to find the deals. You got 14 rehabs going at one time. How, how do you find the deals you're finding and where are they Baton Rouge? Are you all local or? These, they're all local. So okay. um, I would like to go to other markets. I've looked at Alabama a lot, but um, I just don't have the infrastructure there. I have an infrastructure here that I've built from mostly networking. Like I said, I host a, the local meetup here that we have, you know, 60 different people come to. I'm, I'm part of every, you know, Facebook group and every, but it's, it's all wholesalers. So I, I just do what I can to network and, and meet wholesalers. I take care of them. I don't, um, you know, I, I always try and leave money on the table. I, I, if, if I look at a deal and I know I can make money, I won't, I won't try and like negotiate them down. I'll let them make their money. I want them to make money because I want them to go out and they'll send, you know, a wholesaler will get a deal and they'll send it out to, to five cash buyers. The other four will try and get them down. And I won't if I don't need to. And so they like to send it to me first. I've had, you know, what keeps happening to me with wholesalers is they, they figure out how to keep the houses, you know, they start off wholesalers and they're like, wait a minute, I can get funding here and I can flip it myself or I can get funding here and I can hold it myself. And so they just, they keep graduating out. So I, I've just created a funnel through the local meetup that attracts, you know, wannabe wholesalers. I'll even fund their marketing. I'll see like a guy who wants to get into wholesaling, who's, who's like hungry and doing the homework, but from not a great area and doesn't have like the startup costs. And I'll, I'll write them a $2,000 check and say, hey, man, just think about me when, they, when the deals start flowing in. Here's your first two grand towards your marketing. Wow. I've done that several times. And I've had, I've had a ton of wholesalers that I've gone and wrote a check after, after the deal was done and just said, hey, look, man, I, I did really well on this. And I know you only made a few grand. I think you, I think you deserve a few more. Here you go. So it's, it's you know, I, I, I take care of everybody as much as I can. But with the meetup, you know, it's very much an abundance mindset thing, you know, because I know a lot of other, I know a lot of other investors that, that they, A, they start with this, like, they think being a shrewd negotiator is what makes them a great businessman. That's, that's bullshit, man. What makes you a good businessman is having people want to do business with you over and over again. That's why I always try to leave something on the table. That's why 
like I have an abundance of investors, an abundance of deal flow because everybody loves to work with me because I, I'm not trying to squeeze every penny of profit out of each interaction. I'm trying to create, a, you know, an equitable situation that they want to come back and, and get more of. So, um, so you know, one I have friends that would that would never share their resources if they had a if they had a um, a honey hole, if you will, if they had a, a you know a, a wholesaler that was bringing them good deals, they wouldn't want anybody else to know them. Man, I will bring the I will bring my wholesalers to my meetups and have them raise their hand and say, "Hey, all you cash buyers, call Gary, call you know this guy. Um, he's got deals. He'll put you on his list." And you would think I'm creating my own competition, but just that. It, it, it just, it, it's, it's not worked out that way when, you know, all this stuff that I, I introduce, I, people want to get into being cash buyers and flipping or, or, or burn houses and buying rentals. I introduced them to my lenders. I'm like, dude, you can just put, you know, so for whatever reason, I just stay in the, in the crossroads of all this activity. And I just have an abundance of deal flow come to me out of just trying to help as many people around me as I can. I love that, man. That's the ultimate connector, right? You're, 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 like you said, that abundance mindset, giving mindset. It's what drives everything. I love that story, man. And the meetup is near and dear to my heart. That's how I started in real estate. Was I didn't know what to do. I started a meetup. You know, nobody was buying multifamily in my, or nobody was a multifamily investor at the local meetups. So I started a multifamily meetup, and and it became a popular thing here in Michigan. COVID, you know, obviously derailed it a little bit, but um, but yeah, it's uh, those meetups and networking are so so powerful. And I was actually going to ask you about that with capital raising. Is that the same approach? Is it, is, are these meetups and, and sort of being abundant in your mind? So like, how are you raising capital the way you are for the syndications that you're doing? So with the, you know, it's weird. So a lot of people will say, you know, I, I talk to multifamily investors all the time. They're like, oh, well, I used to do single family houses, but I've, I've, you know, graduated and I don't do single family houses anymore. I only do. I'm like, okay, but I would have left millions on the table if I quit doing single family houses when I started looking, you know, I've been looking for large multifamily properties for three years and I've got two, you know what I mean? Do you know how many single families I've done in the, in in the, in between? Like, what do you do in the other nine months of the year? You know what I mean? So I'm posting online all the time, my, you know, my flips, my burr projects, my meetup stuff, and people just see it. People, everybody wants to be a part of it. Everybody's drawn to it. They'll, they'll direct message me. Hey, how can I get involved? Hey, I want to invest some money. You know, every, you know, everybody's done with the stock market. Everybody's done with, with the other thing They they want to be in real estate, but most of them don't have the time. So, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, you can invest with me in two different, one of two different ways. You can give me some money, like as a private note, and I'll, you know, for my my flipping business, or you can be an equity partner within the apartment complexes, and you can participate in the upside. So, um, you know, a lot of people I've taken on as as you know debt partners um, in the meantime until we we find another project, um, and then you know normally like during our last during our last raise on the seventy unit in Rock Hill, you know like. We had to we had to give money back. Um, you know, we had to say sorry. Can you like? I know you wanted to put in you know a hundred, but can you just do fifty on this one? Um, just how do you nurture that list? How do you so do you do you is it a newsletter monthly? Like how do you stay in front of people so that when that one or two deals that did come up, you know, come up, you over race for it? How do you how do you stay relevant to that audience? 
Well, the the answer is historically I don't. So I'm in the process of redoing that for for the very reasons you're asking. So I, I spent. Um, it's hard to create that much content and to you know build out the system. But I have a you know I created an ebook and 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 then I created a, a a little drip campaign with Active Campaign to to kind of when they download the ebook we'll send them you know four emails that introduce them to my brand and hey go listen to the Rent Roll Radio Show hey go you know go check out this website go do that um, never got a ton of traction and and I was always very good at getting getting investors in the hopper like yeah where do i invest but but it's you know the deal flow on the the large multifamily side has not been as as flowing as it is on the smaller side so it's, it's keeping them warm has been a challenge um so I've, i recently bought a bunch of marketing material from the good egg investments people do you know them I've heard of them. Yeah. I don't know them, but yeah, I've heard of them. It's, it's a bunch of, you know, it's a bunch of articles and it's a bunch of blog and, and, and drip campaigns that's kind of designed to, you know, fish out. So I'm, I'm, you fish out investors and then kind of keep them warm with these blog articles and stay top of mind. And I, and I'm going to create a, a newsletter that I'll be sending out monthly, but, but I'm in, I'm, Currently in the process of of getting my website redone, getting my active campaign drip pain campaigns redone, and getting that newsletter set up. So hopefully, I should have all of that online in the next week or so. But um, yeah, but you've cultivated this this relationship with people, right? Where they when you do have something to raise for, they're there for you. And now you're yeah, you'll automate and systematize and do all of that stuff. But it still comes down to relationship building. That's the core it of what is. you're great at. You you can automate it and build these systems and then at the end of the day end up in everybody's spam. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like hundred percent. It, it everybody that's invested with me, it was a relationship thing. It was a referral from a friend, or it was you know somebody who I met, or somebody saw me doing stuff on Facebook and and sent me a direct message. You know, so, it's funny, yeah, on the spam thing. So I, I put together a deal that I, I let a bunch of GoBundance guys know about, and they dropped their email address, and we sent it out to forty emails that asked for it. Like, yes, yeah, I mean that deal. Three got it. Three. The rest all went to spam. So you're right. My, it's hard to my own emails go to my spam, Mine, which which I, messes with my head so I know, much. I Every know. time I can't even send myself an email, I ask, "What am I doing with myself here? Like, why am I doing this?" But they get about a forty percent read rate. So I don't know if it's just how my email settings are, and I'm not that tech savvy. But I don't know if it's just how my email settings are set, because forty percent of them, at least forty percent of them, are getting them because they're opening which, you know, if you send it out to a hundred people that you know, and 60% of it aren't getting it, that's like, that's dramatic. Like you're like, oh man, I'm sorry. You know, my 60 buddies didn't see the email I tried to send. But if you send it out like on a large scale and you're like really like running ad campaigns and, and got tons of lead magnets out there and you're you're getting like thousands of of people in the funnel and like, you know, out of the 2000 people that came in the funnel, 800 open your email. Well, like now you're getting somewhere, you know what I mean? Like that's good. That's good numbers when you look at it that way. But when you're managing like personal relationships and like 60 of your friends didn't get the invite to your birthday party, like that, that's a, that's a bust. But when you're like, you know, when you're out there, like, you know what I'm saying? Collecting large, large sample sizes, that's when it's, it's effective. 
Brandon Turner. I, I had a conversation with a guy recently, uh, another GoBundance guy about raising capital. Because here's the, this is my reality with raising capital. No matter what you think you can raise, like when you first are going to raise capital, it's like, well, I got this much that I can raise from. I, I mean, I'll be real conservative. I know I can raise this much, but the reality is you end up raising this much, right? And if you're not seeing my hands, like it's never, at least the first time, it's never as much as you think you can raise. It's not even as much as the the most conservative estimate that you think you can raise. It's lower than that. It just is, right? Like that people will be interested. They'll talk to you. But when it comes down to putting their money out there, it takes some time to get that first capital raise. And I said that to my buddy. It's like, it's it's really the size of the list. Brandon posts all the time, you know, a thousand investors, right? But his list is a hundred plus thousand. So it's literally like 1% of, of his entire audience is actually investing, but the number is still huge. Thousand people at a hundred thousand dollars a piece. That's a lot of money, you know? So yeah, I, I, I'm completely with you. A, a big what, number is, as, is the way to go. As a sales guy and a sales manager throughout my whole corporate career, it all boils yeah. down to those funnels. I mean, back in the insurance business, we used to call it like 10-3-1. Like for every 10 people you call, three people will agree to meet with you and one of them will buy from you. You know, same thing with the team I coach now. They're just, you know, you, you've only got so many variables here and there's only one you can control and that's the activity. That's the number of people you're calling or the number of doors you're knocking on. So it's the same concept here. Like just get a larger number of inputs and then, you know, that's how you control your output. That That's a small ratio of that. Have you looked into texting or no SMS? I haven't. Um, I've, I've seen that, that, you know, I've talked to, at one point I was planning on trying to source my own single family properties and, and, and go at it that, that I never followed up with that just because I, I found more success with nurturing the relationships with the wholesalers who were doing that work. Yeah. But I, I looked at it there. They had some programs where they would charge you per message and send it out, but it's, it's never anything I've, I've actually yeah. done. Curious on, on the, on the nurture part of it, it feels like there's opportunity there, but who knows? I don't know. I haven't uh, dove, dove fully into it either at this point. Uh, the Rent Roll Radio Show. I'm curious, uh, why start a podcast and how much has that been a part of all of what we're talking about right now as far as nurturing, you know, potential investors and, and all of that? So it's, it's a funny topic because it's one of the things that gives me credibility with all of the other things. You know, I used to say that about my MBA and my corporate job. Like, did it get me the promotion that I had an MBA? No, but it was probably like one of the five things that, that helped, you know, build that, that brand. So, you know, when it, when it, what I found in the early days of the podcast was, you know, I had a hard, I had a hard time getting listeners, but what I didn't have a hard time getting was guests. It was so crazy because I could call these, these, really successful guy, Jay Scott and, and, you know, Matt Faircloth and, and I was a nobody and they would, they would just come on my show. You know, it's funny. I think Gino Barbara was, uh, he, he, he was on my show. And a week later I saw, uh, I saw like an advertisement where he was selling like an hour of coaching for like $3,000. I'm like, dude, I got my hour for free. <laughs> you know, when you have a podcast, everybody will talk to you because everybody wants to get their message out, you know? And so that was, that was huge from a point of like me networking, continuing to learn and continuing to network. And then, you know, when, when 
I approached people about investing, they would, you know, they would go through the, well, why should we trust Sterling with our money? Well, you know, he's interviewed 150 other real estate investors. So like he's done his homework there. You know, he's got a finance degree and an MBA. He's got all this experience with all these houses. He's got, you know, it's just one more thing that kind of helps build the credibility of the brand. Now, recently viewership has gone up. I actually hired a marketing company to to market market the podcast so so the downloads have like tripled in the last two months because of that so um it's it's and and i've had i have a couple investors that found out about me through my podcast but um i'm i'm anticipating now that i'm paying for marketing on the podcast side and i'm paying for marketing on the drip campaign side that you know the two will will kind of help me blow up together because what, what, what it does is it allows you to access larger deals, right? Because right now I'm like, okay, well, I could easily raise like three or four million dollars. So what is that? Let's go look at 70 unit deals, right? But we're not going to go look at 250 unit deals because I couldn't easily raise 15 million dollars, mm. right? But if I invest in the marketing that gets me to where I could easily raise 15 million dollars, well, there's a lot smaller buying pools at the 250 unit than there is at the 100 unit because everybody else is the same boat. So the idea is accessing more funding will allow me to access more deals because it'll widen the you know size that I can go after. Love it. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, something I wanted to pivot over to and my mind just went blank on it. Oh, the W-2. I'm looking at it right here. So through all of this, you've got this job. You got this job and you said, you know, maybe this is the last year for this job. I don't know. But what what is the what is the 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 metric or the milestone that you need to meet for you to feel comfortable walking away from your job? Is it that or is it just I, I don't know, like what is it what keeps you at your job versus what is the point at which you feel like it's it's time to go? Yeah, that's a that's a moving target. And and a lot of it is is emotional from like how we were raised. Like, like, because what I have is a really good job. You know, when I started, when I started uh, investing in real estate and like shifting my energies and efforts, everybody thought I was crazy. They're like, you have a great job. What do you do? Like, we would all kill to have your job. So to see me throw it away or walk away from it, I mean, everybody's like, you're insane. You know, I'm not, not in GoBundance, but like, you know what I mean? I was going to say, changes when you join GoBundance, but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's, which is one of the reasons I joined, right? For that, that shift. And but it's, you know, the psychology of being raised, you know, my, my parents were corporate America, you know, everybody I knew that was comfortable was corporate America, having that steady paycheck, those insurance. But for me, you know, I want a certain amount of passive income and a certain pile of cash, you know, so the market's going crazy, right? With the interest rates, we don't know what the next few months are going to look like. And so that number is larger than it was, say, a year ago when we just thought we were like, we were confident it was going to go on forever, right? Because now, like, well, what if, what if we go into this, this crazy crash bear market for the next two years? Like, do I have enough if a bunch of my rentals go vacant and, you know, I can't flip houses anymore? Like, like, can I carry on for two years? So, I mean, the, you know, for me, I want, you know, I want 500 in cash and I want 200,000 net passive cash flow from the rentals. Got it. I got it. Is that to replace income or is that just expense plus some? Is that kind of what that 200K number is for? That's That replaces income. Gotcha. Um, 
So, I mean, I don't, the thing is, and I heard you talking about this on your last podcast. I don't ever want to go back to work. I don't ever, I don't, and I don't want to be a struggling entrepreneur. You know what I mean? Like my job's not bad. It's not, you know, I've always had the flexibility to do both. You know, if I was going, if I worked at a plant or something, if I was punching a clock and, and, you know, 40 hours a week and had to choose, I would have chose a long time ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. But given the flexibility and the, you know, the great job, I just wanted to make sure I was like absolutely comfortable and ne- never going to have to go back. I didn't want to like quit and give up this good job up here to go fail at entrepreneurship and then have to come back to W2 life back down here. Yeah. What's your, I'm curious with real estate and investing, what is your, I don't know, one to 10, how do you feel about it? How much love or joy do you have in real estate investing? Is it more of a means to an end or is it something you just, I really enjoy this? I really enjoy it. And, you know, I really enjoy the people. I really enjoy the energy. I love, uh, I love getting deals. I, I, I get high on it. No matter how much money I had, I would still chase the the projects because it excites me. Yeah. That being said, you know, I don't want to be Grant Cardone. I don't need to be a, a billionaire. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I want to spend more time with my family. I want to have freedom. I don't want to be the billionaire who's on their fourth wife and just dies alone with this big pile of money and their kids hate them because they were workaholics. Yeah. That's not my goal in life. Um, my goal in life is to get to where I'm financially free enough or independent enough to go to all of my kids' games, to be able to travel with my wife six months out of the year, to have all this freedom. Now, I'll probably never quit working, right? Because I enjoy the projects and the process, but um, but I, I'm not, I don't want to be sucked into this addicted to the grind where, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in and I'm still ignoring my wife and kids to get to work 18 hours a day. Like that's sure. not my end goal. And some people's mission in life is to build the biggest and best company. And but mine is to be a good husband and a good father. And, and I just feel like the, the financial freedom associated with the investing will allow me. And I, and you know, it's, we all, we all struggle with the balance, right? Especially when you're <laughs> still in the day job and the real estate and the kids you're building and, and, and you're building and so, you know, I get pushed back from, from my wife and from everybody about like, you know, you work so much and I'm like, yeah, but I'm working so much now. So I don't have to work later. Right. Like, you know, like I'll, I'll never have to punch a clock again. I'll never have to miss a game again. I know, you know, for, if we could just, if we could just nose down for this little five year window, then the next 25 years can, you know, can be completely different than you ever imagined being an adult would be like, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, the, like I always say like retiring 25 years early, it's like, it's like adding 25 years to the end of your life. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What is your, I'm curious, what does your pod say? You mentioned like only except coming to go abundance, the day job is the thing that doesn't, what do they say about you, the day job plan, all of that stuff? What's their feedback? My, my go pod, we just yeah. got together. So we've, I've met with my go pod twice. Gotcha. 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 All right. All right. So you're starting to, you're starting to bond and get to know each other just, just now. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. They're not Um, yelling at me and and holding me accountable yet. (laughs) No, it's interesting because it's, it's what you said that I realized not in the moment, but after the fact that was really the, like the drive for me to get at my job. Cause I wasn't at a place where I replaced my income. I wasn't. So a lot of people on the outside world, if you will, uh, saw it as crazy and risky. Again, but you had a great job. It was pretty easy for me at that point. I had, sure. I was seasoned and it and it wasn't bad. I, I, it was fine, right? It was a good job. Um, 
So I had that, but on the inside, especially with my pod and having been around them for two years at that point, I mean, just the way they spoke about it, it just, and they never said it this way, but I took it this way later. It was like, there's, there's things we do in life that, that we do them. Well, let me take a step back. We spend a lot of time with certain things, a lot of time with our family, a lot of time with our work, a lot of time with our job or whatever it may be. Right. And we spend a lot of time with our family and hopefully with our work because we just love it. It's just, we love, like you said, when, when I asked about real estate, you sat up at the desk, you're like, freaking love real estate. It's exciting. I love deals. Bah, boom. Right. With your family, I want to spend time with them. I want to give 25 years back, right? There was this love. But for some reason, and it's conditioning, because I know for me, it was not bad is acceptable for what I did most of, what I spent the most time, more than even with my family, not bad was acceptable. So I got to a place where I didn't realize at the time where I wasn't willing to accept a significant part of my life being successful equal to not bad. Does that make sense? So that was like my jumping point. And, and somebody else I talked to, Ingo Bundan said this, and it, and it helped me at least justify it. It's like, look, man, you get to 50, 60% of where you were, jump and know that you'll make up the other 40 way faster once you're out. You got to give yourself that, that, uh, that runway in time. And I'm like, ah, that's a great point. doesn't mean there's not ups and downs, but that was for me a big pivot point. That, that idea that, you know what, I, I, I couldn't stand not bad being such a significant part of success in my life. It, it just bothered me. I didn't know it at the time, but that's what kind of came to my mind. Sorry, you, you look like you want to say something. Go for it. Yeah. So <laughs> it's so funny because, you know, for, you know, in the early years of my career, I was, I was like number one and, you know, I was just breaking records and getting promoted all the time. And I was just every year. High, yeah. I'm such a high achiever. And, and, and over the last few years, it's been like a steadily decline, like a fade and like the passion's gone. And, you know, I'll, I, and like my, my boss will, I mean, they all know, they all know what I do. You know, I try and keep it under wraps, but it's, it, you know, I mean, you've seen my Facebook, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so, I mean, I always block them, but every time, you know, my, I got 12 employees, like, you know, when they get pissed, they go stalk me and it comes up. But like, you know, my, my, my boss will get irritated and, and he'll like, yeah, you know, you used to be like this top, top, top performer and you're just not. And I'm like, I made more money flipping houses last month than I did at 18. I did at my job all, all year. Like you can't put that genie back in the bottle. You know what I mean? Like I can't, like I, like with corporate America, you run as fast as you can and they go, oh, he can run fast. Let's turn up the treadmill. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like all of my energy now goes into my future and my family's future, like building stuff for me. Whereas over there, it's like all of my energy, you know, I just get a little tiny sliver of my energy back. Yeah. And I just, I can't be passionate about that anymore. That's, that's so true, man. I, I can't tell you how many times I was told, uh, yeah, hey, you're, you're doing great. We got this department that needs like no one else will do it. We know you could do it. It's lateral, no more pay, but great opportunity for you for the next job, right? I get that happened like three times, like slide over, slide over, slide over, because I was the only one that would do it, travel or take a department that might not be there in six months. And you may not have a job, but if it's successful, oh, your trajectory so much. And after a while, you're right. It's just like, for what? For What's the return here? And to your point, I, I used to love what I did. You know what changed for me, to be honest with you, when I think about it, it's two things. One is when I started, it was a much smaller company. I mean, still 10 billion, but still much smaller. So there was a lot of room for creativity. Like you get the job done. Hey, look, this is what we want to get done. Just figure out a way to get there ethically within these within this box. And then at the end, it became the mantra of follow the process. Just follow the process. 
follow the process. Don't get yeah. creative. Follow the process. So that's bureaucratic that box checkers. Oh my yeah. God. It just kept for what I got paid, especially it was like, I can't stand it anymore. Like I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. So one, my creative energy was just completely, was completely uh, snuffed out, if you will. So that passion went down dramatically for sure. I thought, I thought the next job would get me there, but then I realized, no, I'm just a higher paid box checker. Like to your point. Um, and I forget what the second thing is, but anyway, it, it's funny how it's funny how that happens. I, I I resonate with that story that yeah, you know, you get to this point and it just sort of it just sort of wanes, and now you're on that trajectory. In so in 2019, I was you know 2019, I had you know 12, 15 rentals or whatever. I, I mean, by the end of it, I had 26. But in 2019, I had this job. I was a regional director, and I was flying all over the. I mean, I had like 13 employees in like 13 states. And I was flying all over the place and I had the job that like I'd always dreamed of as a kid. Like that's what I want to be when I grow up. I was wearing suits and flying all over. I was an important businessman and corporate man. And, and my wife was pregnant and she was on bed rest. And, um, and she was like, she, she was on bed rest. Like she had to go to the doctor, like the hospital in the middle of the night a few times while I was in like Birmingham or, or DC or something. And, and, and I remember flying home like on a Friday night, at like 11 o'clock, I was landing in New Orleans. I was still going to have to get in my car and drive an hour to get home at midnight. And I, saw, and I was 34 at the time. And I saw this guy that was like 56, two seats ahead of me wearing a wrinkled suit he'd had on since four o'clock that morning, just like I did. He was me in 20 years. And all I could think was, what a chump. Yeah. Like what a chump. Like when that I'm crazy? that age, I want to be sitting on a beach in a like like you know, sandals and 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 a and board shorts or or like sitting in my backyard with my kids barbecuing. I don't want to be on a freaking plane in this like uncomfortable wrinkled suit. Like, you know, so is that that paradigm shift in my head? I was like, that's just not what I want to be when I grow up, you know. Or it was, Amazing. always was. Yeah. You know, I just started yeah. looking at it from a different lens. Amazing. Wow. All right. So syndication is the next thing it sounds like for you. Where where are you going with that? Are you looking at deals more? Are you uh, kind of give me an idea of what's next for you? So I, like I said, I have my partners with, with Clear Bay Capital and um, we, you know, we've, we've done really well. I mean, I think everybody's done really well over the last few years. Like you've had, we've had such a wind at our back that it's hard to, but we've done really well with our first two projects. And so we're aggressively trying to find more, you know, I've, I'm, I'm looking at, at, like I said, building out my capital raising machine at, I think a faster pace than, um, then my partners are building out the acquisition team. So we've, I've entertained raising for, for other operators, and, you know, I've talked to them about that. They don't feel like I'm cheating on them or anything. They, you know, they're, they're, their thought process behind that is like, if I can get, if I can satisfy the investors and keep giving them something, you know what I mean? It'll allow me to grow bigger and always have the funding for the projects they find. So I've, I've entertained working with some other operators, but, but I'm kind of limited about that because I, I want control and I want oversight and I want, you know, I don't want to you see this all the time in the industry where people are kind of whoring themselves out to all these different syndicators. And I was trying to think of another word to not use that on the show, but I couldn't. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, um, 
and, and and you're like, well, they don't even know who, they don't even know what lender they're using. They don't even know what property management company they're using. And I'm like, well, if you lose your investor's money, like, what are you going to tell them? You don't have answers to any of these questions, you know? Mm-hmm. So I like my group that I'm working with because we're, we're tight, man. We're, we talk constantly. We're on meetings constantly. I'm in every aspect, you know, intimate with every aspect of the, the project. And if I were to go, you know, maybe raise capital for one of these other larger groups that seems to constantly have deal flow i'd I'd be nervous that i would lose a little bit of that and that's not i I, that's just i'm not that's not the comfort i don't have a comfort level with that Mm -hmm. i I don't want to place my investors capital where i don't know it's safe and so so i'm i'm you know i'm i'm open to other types of partnerships if i was more involved with them but uh yeah that from here it's just turn up the capital machine and push my partners to be more aggressive on their offers. You know, they're, they're they're watching the market just like everybody else. You know, everything's with the interest rates, everything's changing. We got to be more conservative because we don't know what the the future looks like. So, you know, that's but but hopefully, um, hopefully with this softening, that it'll create more opportunity because the last couple of years it was so hot that there was just people were were overpaying for everything. And if you're not willing to overpay, then you're not getting deals. You know. So I'm, you know, I, people always ask me, you think the market's going to crash? I'm like, I sure hope so. I could use some good opportunities, you know? Yeah. Well, we were talking before we started recording about that. Maybe, maybe in the higher, the higher level uh, luxury segment, right? Six, seven, eight hundred thousand and up kind of thing right. um, might be due for a correction unless my prediction comes true, which is the Fannie buying the 50 year mortgage. But we'll see what happens with that. I don't know if unless even if that happens, but it'll certainly help. Uh, uh, stave off some of the some of the correction at the top level, but I think you're seeing it now. Anything that's 1.2, 1.3 million. I talked to guys who go abundance that are realtors. Like, yeah, you know, it's not not as much action there. There's still offers on the five hundred thousand dollar product, but like we talked about, it might not be twelve. It's seven now, but still, it's a lot of offers on one property, and that'll probably sustain for the next few years. I think. Yeah. So I'm sure we shall see. We shall see. So GoBundance, talk to me about that real quick. You've been in GoBundance for about five months now. Uh, what has it meant for you? What has it been for you? What experiences have you had? Kind of just share a little bit about your time in GoBundance so far. Sure. So I have, like everything, I always say I'm, I'm bad at everything because um, <laughs> I've got so much going on right now, right? Sure. So, um, sure. And, and, and GoBundance is no exception. I like to, I like to jump before I get, um, before I, you know, get too busy to jump or decide not to. And I, I'd always wanted to join GoBundance. I'd heard about it from Brandon from, you know, Bigger Pockets over the years. And in the early days, I, I wouldn't, I didn't qualify. And then when, you know, when I did qualify and and I had the money, I was like, well, I don't have, I got way too much going on right now. I don't have time to do this. But if I, if I hold off, I'll like look back in six months and, you know, so I, I jumped and I just, I paid the money to join. And then, and then I didn't really have time to follow through much on it. So you know, like I'd mentioned, I, I travel a lot for the for the multifamily conferences, and I've mm-hmm. and I've got a, a two and a half year old and a one and a half year old, or one year old. So I guess they're my wife yells at me all the time because I get their ages wrong. But I guess it progresses. I guess one's almost three now, and one's one and a half now. Uh, but you know, leaving her alone with them is is a lot. So. I try and like really negotiate down my travel. So I haven't been in, in a, um, on a, on a trip yet, but I'm really looking forward to that. I have, you know, I, I communicate daily with my local group. You know, we've had some local Louisiana meetups here. Um, really, I've gotten tons of value just out of that. You know, the first meetup I went to was, um, 
was with the the Louisiana tribe. We went to Top Golf, and we were sitting there, and and one of them goes, "Oh, you don't you don't call seg your single family homes." You're single. I was like, "No, I thought that was just really something you did for the larger deals." He go, "Oh, they got this guy. Look, we all use him. He'll virtually do it for like three hundred bucks a pop, and it makes sense, dude." Right there, that saved me hundreds of like that way more than paid for my ten thousand dollar admission fee. Just that little tip and that little contact they shot me, you know, and. And, and and then, you know, I was mentioning, I was looking at a beach house in, in Alabama and they sent me that, you know, zero down credit union. That was a tip from a GoBro. So just, just the, I mean, if nothing else, um, no, yeah. being in constant communication with the guys in Louisiana around me and, you know, that, that's been very valuable. We just got, we just got set up in our GoPod. So that those guys are great. I love seeing them. I love uh, the advice from, that, that I get in the quitting your W2 micro tribe, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were on there and it talked about how you get insurance, you know, when, and I'm like, Oh, I don't even think about that. Like, and I feel, I feel better knowing that there's a, you know, there's a solution for that. Cause that's a question that would have come up, you know? So um, really ex- eager to go on, on an event. Um, definitely want to do one before the end of the year. So I was looking at, at Detroit, um, and I was also looking at Dallas. Dallas would probably be easier for me. And I imagine would have more people there. Um, so we'll see. But, right. but I definitely, definitely love the guys I've met and uh, love the whole concept. I think that's a great point because I, I talked to a lot of guys about joining. And um, I think there's a there's a, a need to hear all of the things that I get for 10 grand or 15 grand or whatever you join for, champion or, or elite or whatever. And that's a great way of articulating it. Like I, I don't use everything that GoBundance offers, right? I'm not on the calls. I'm on very few, as a matter of fact. I got kids, young kids at night. It's seven o'clock sure. at night. I, I'm yeah. not doing, I got bedtime, right? Like maybe right, a seven right. to eight call because it's only up for yeah. a couple of days. But beyond that, it's hard for me to get on those evening calls and and still be, you know, committed yeah. to being the dad I want to be. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm micro tribes. I miss I miss so many micro tribe calls. But to your point, I do a local chapter meeting and one thing pops up, or I meet a guy at a conference or at a, at, a, at an event or whatever, and I become a partner with him or whatever. Right? Like it, it's just it's just this one little thing here or there. It's just you get into a room where there's tidbits and nuggets of information that are ten thousand dollars plus in value. And I know it's, that sounds silly and simple. But that's really, to me, the value of paying the money. Like, I don't have the time to go out and find the kinds of people I need around me, but I got 10 grand and I can put 10 grand. It's not going to change my life if I do nothing with it. But man, if I get one thing, one thing for this 10 grand, like you said, it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of value, depending on what it is. It's worth it. It's worth it. And the likelihood is that you'll get one thing. That's all you need. Sure. I don't know. So I always tell people at this point, Go to GoBundance.com and apply. Whether you're a millionaire or not, we have programs for everything. But um, but now yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. It's uh, it's uh, those little tidbits. I always liken it to to like real estate. Like you move into a neighborhood and there's amenities that you know, might not use the tennis court, but it's there if you want to, right? You might not use the community pool, right. but it's there if you want to. And when when that one time everybody's neighborhood kids come over or whatever, and you take them to the pool, so worth it. It was worth having it in your neighborhood or whatever. So right. yeah. And that's, that's my way of looking at it. All right, let's wrap this on a question from the GoBundance card game. And the question is, what kind of online course would you create to share your wisdom? Oh, man. <laughs> I told you I wasn't going to tell you at the jump. So Make it's funny. It's, it's a funny topic because, you know, in the real estate space, there's so many gurus and, and you, you know, you balk at a lot of them. But then there's, there's also some valuable education out there. Um, 
And, and, you know, you talk about like Whitney Sewell and, and these other guys that paid Joe Fairless $50,000 to, and, and then the next thing you know, they bought a hundred million dollars in real estate. Like they'll tell you that's the only reason that happened. So like, you can't balk at all of them, you know what I mean? Right. But if I was going to create an online course to, to share my wisdom, would it be, I guess, is, what would be the topic of it? Sure. Yeah. Let's go with that. <sighs> I would think it would be about, I mean, obviously it would be about real estate. Um, I would think it would be about the the people side of real estate. That's what, that's what I think most people miss is the, the vow is how to make those connections and how important that is to the whole process. Like you can read a million books, you can study everything, you can, you know, you can go make offers to, you know what I mean? to stuff you find on market. But like, to me, a hundred percent of the value has come from the connections I've made. I mean, a hundred percent of it, right? Like I get all my deals from the wholesalers. I wouldn't have met the wholesalers if I didn't go network at meetings. You know, the lenders, I meet, you know, when I first started, I remember calling like 20 something banks because nobody would do the type of loan I wanted. And like, if you just like most people, this is a pet peeve of mine. Most people like call like Chase or, or Capital One and they're like, oh, they told me I can't do that kind of loan. And then nobody will do it. Well, look, if they tell you nobody will do it, they're an either, either an idiot or a liar because everybody will do some kind of, you know, everybody will structure a loan some type of way. You just need to ask enough people. So I don't want to do business with you either way if you're an idiot or a liar, you know, but that that's a big pet peeve of mine because if a bank doesn't do something, they'll tell you nobody will do it, but somebody out there will do it. So just like, but networking with the, the lenders that make the deals together, you know, the, 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 the contractors that do the work, you know, every part of this is, um, is part of a, a human connection. And that's the most, I mean, every business is a people business, but this one's most importantly. Dude, there's two things that you just said that really resonate with me. One, I, I was privileged to be on the Bigger Pockets podcast over a year ago now. And the 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 I talked about calling 14 banks to get the loan product I needed for the duplexes I was trying to buy. And then they do like the quick tip at the beginning. That was the quick tip yeah. they use, call 14 banks and then explain what that meant. So I completely agree with you. That's what the Chase Bank well, that, of America. Maybe, maybe that's why they've been ignoring my application for two years because that was, that was my tip. Yeah, right. Yeah, maybe. They, like we already got this We guy. already We're, got that one, yeah. <laughs> now he's already done it. That's a good point. Um, but the second thing is with Brandon specifically, I remember seeing something, a post, a story where somebody said, look, I, I got this and that. Other than networking, what can I do? And he's like, networking. Like I, People want to bypass that to your point. Like They, they understand that it's valuable. They understand like... like uh, what's the word? Um, logically, that there's value in networking, but they don't. They don't look at it. I love the title of the course because you're right. This is a full-on. I don't want to call it like a contact sport, but it is, man. You got to get out there. You got to meet people. Then you got to follow up, and you got to add value. Like you said, you got to be abundant-minded. I think that's brilliant because there that is something that people don't want to do. It's like, yeah, okay, I get networking, but I've been like, it's the same thing. I've been to two RIA meetings, and it didn't work. Fair? I mean, but, you know, people, like, it's so weird. I have, I get super uncomfortable in crowds. Like, I don't, like, people, because I'm very extroverted. People don't ever believe that. But, like, I could talk on a stage, but, like, in a crowd, I'm like, like, I I don't want to interrupt those people are talking to each other. I don't have anything to say. It's kind of awkward. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm, like, nervously trying to ask a girl on a date when I'm just saying, like, hello, what do you do? You know? Like, uh, but, you know, if you keep putting yourself, what I've just 
keep going back until people like approach me or like I find like something of value to offer somebody and I, I get people in one-on-one settings and that's when I really enjoy talking to people. But yeah, I don't like, I don't like the crowds and I think it'd be a lot of people get overwhelmed by the crowds. They'll go and they're like, you know, I don't know anybody. These people all seem to know each other and they're talking to one another and I don't want to interrupt. So they'll sit in the corner. Um, and I think it's on the onus is on the group to make sure they're included, you know, at our meetup, if I see somebody in the corner, I'm like, Hey, come on. Hey, meet John. Hey, meet, you know what I mean? The ultimate connector. I love it. I love it. Sterling, where can people meet uh, or learn more about you or follow you or wherever you want to direct them? Yeah. I mean, they can, you know, I'm, I'm really active on, on Facebook and then, you know, they can go see our website, crestworthcapital.com. Beautiful. Great meeting you, man. Great having you on. I appreciate you being Me on too. today. Look forward Good to meeting in person. Yeah, we will. We will. Detroit or Dallas, it sounds like. Yep. (laughs) All right. We'll see you soon. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 